7. We welcome you to be here to worship and uh, uh, sing some of the great hymns and some Christmas uh, music as well. I uh, want to be in uh, uh, you men. I want to just get you thinking about getting your wife to the women's retreat on February 4th and 5th. Start thinking about that. Um, and uh, making the plans that would be necessary for her to be able to do that. Uh, it'll be Liz Baker speaking this year. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a wonderful uh, time for our women to be strengthened in the Word and in the Spirit. So uh, draw your attention to that. And um, also, you know, uh, the news of uh, all the tornadoes that have devastated uh, Illinois and Arkansas and uh, Tennessee and Kentucky. So uh, in a minute I'm going to pray, but we're going to uh, lift our hearts towards the Lord for uh, those people who are walking in devastation this morning. This uh, passage in Ephesians 4 marks the segue from the first section of our series that we've been doing on gifted and going for it, uh, the gifts of the Spirit. And now we're going to talk about the gifts of Jesus. Uh, to the church uh, for the next uh, six weeks or so. And so I'm going to introduce that and give an overview to that today. I'm also going to do a little bit of context of what's going on in Ephesus as we read this letter to the Ephesians, uh, what's going on in Ephesus. And uh, then I'm going to, so I'm going to unpack uh, the overall situation, then the overview of the gifts of Jesus, and then we're, today we're going to focus on the apostolic ministry, the apostolic gifting, and I'm going to give us a definition of that and some biblical examples and some examples from our community, and then we're going to have a, a time of closing prayer and worship where uh, we will be uh, praying over and encouraging those that have this apostolic leaning, and you may not know that. You may not have received teaching on this before, so uh, we're going to be counting on the Lord to be moving as we go through the message to speak uh, to those, and then to the rest of us uh, who will be encouraging and cheering those brothers and sisters with that gifting on uh, as we go from here. So uh, let me uh, start with some prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the gift that it is to us to be able to read and understand and have the Spirit lead us through uh, your word, your ways, your teaching, uh, Lord, your, your very voice speaking to us. And Lord, we do lift up uh, those that have been devastated by tornadoes over this past weekend, Lord, we, uh, we lift the relief efforts, we lift the work of Matthew 25 in our own city that is uh, sending resources to these affected areas. Uh, Lord, we just pray for those who have lost loved ones, yes. somewhere around 70, maybe more, uh, Lord, and uh, those that have lost their homes and property that you would be close and present with them. They would experience uh, your comfort. Uh, and Lord, that the body of Christ would respond uh, throughout these regions. We pray these things, Lord, uh, in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we uh, lift up uh, this time in your word this morning that you'd speak to each one of us. Uh, Lord, that you would encourage us and uh, call us forward. Uh, in the name of Jesus, the church agreed and said, Amen. Okay, so before we dive into the Word, we're in Ephesus. Uh, I've got a picture here. This is the theater in Ephesus. About uh, 25,000 people could sit in that theater at the time of Paul. Ephesus was Paul's key target. It was the leading city uh, in this region of the world outside of Rome. It was the leading city uh, in this part, and... God, if you remember, forbid Paul to go to Asia uh, until Paul was ready. And there was a certain, as uh, I took us through this summer on July 4th, July 11th, and July 18th, I took us through a kind of a mini-series on Paul at the end of the 
uh, series we did in the letter to the Colossians written by Paul. And uh, we talked about how he had, this was really his target. And by the time he got to Ephesus and by the time he was working in Ephesus, he'd been there for at least a couple of years. And while he was there, he trained and released people to go all through the province of Asia so that in two years, the Bible says, everyone in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. That's about 12 million people. That's about the size of Ohio today. It's about 12 million people who heard the word. This was a, the beginning of a movement. And Ephesus became the headquarters for the Christian movement for the next 300 years. Okay, until... Uh, the Roman Emperor uh, Constantine um, moved things uh, to Rome. But in the meantime, this was Operation Central for the Christian movement. And Paul was there. We're going to see he turned that over to some elders. And then we know that even at some point, one of the elders was John, the apostle, um, who was also uh, operating out of Ephesus and... Uh, died and is buried in Ephesus. So uh, this was a major center, a major city. And what is going on in Ephesus at this time, at the writing of the letter, Paul is, knows that he's supposed to go to Jerusalem. He knows that he's eventually uh, going to be preaching in Rome. And he's called the Ephesian elders. He calls them to Miletus, about a 50-kilometer walk. He calls them to Miletus, for a meeting so he doesn't have to go to Ephesus so he can get to Jerusalem where he's going on time. And in chapter 20 of the book of Acts, Paul is speaking uh, to the elders and he says, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God, or in some translations, the whole counsel of God. And then he tells them, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And so we, we see here that there's one more gift of the Holy Spirit that's happening as we transition into here, the pointing out among the flock of elders. You know, we hear uh, the way that seems to work is we see those of men among the congregation who are drawn to shepherding others, who are drawn to uh, gather others, who are drawn to teach others, and those men typically become our elders in training. We have three elders in training right now, and we have 13 elders uh, that operate here in the church. Uh, eight are on the elder council, five uh, are not on the council, but they're continuing to shepherd and actively engage. All of the elders in our church we call the elder community. And a subset of that, the council, takes care of the business and the overseeing work. So all of these men uh, that serve here have been pointed out to us by the Spirit. And this is the process uh, we use. So we see here that Paul, the, the apostle, is coming to the end of his season in Ephesus and he's turning things over uh, to the elders and he's giving them instructions. Actually, in that section, the very next thing he says uh, is uh, to be, to be uh, shepherds, uh, to take care of the flock because he knows after he leaves that savage wolves will come in among uh, you and will not spare the flock. Uh, men will arise to distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. And then he finishes his long talk by saying, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. The word of his grace is the gospel. The word of his grace is the good news of the gospel. Uh, and he says, Which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So we see here, uh, and in this next chart, we, we just see through the New Testament a, a carefully orchestrated transition of leadership. And we see mostly in the Gospels, Jesus is leading and he's training up his apostles. In the book of Acts and the letters, we see that the apostles are doing the leading in the absence of Jesus and they're training up 
others who will uh, uh, operate in a variety of gifts, but who will also become elders. And then we see uh, towards the tail end of the letters, uh, even in the book of Revelation, we see 24 elders. And then today, as we operate, we see uh, that elders are uh, operating as the leaders of the church throughout the world in local fellowships uh, led by elders who obviously have a range of giftings and uh, we're going we're gonna to see more about that as we go through this. So this is the deliberate pattern of leadership development that we see in the church. And the question is going to be, so when the book uh, when the book of Revelation ends and when the, the, the written revelation of the Lord ends, how, how is this process going to be sustained over dozens of centuries now that has turned out? And that's the question. How do we sustain this movement? And it's the text that we're going to look at today that gives us this amazing insight on how this movement will be sustained uh, after the departure of Jesus after the departure of the 12 apostles, after the departure of all the other leaders that we read about in the book of Acts, we read about in the letters, and uh, even after John has his revelation uh, in the island of Patmos, even after that, how does the church continue to remain fresh and vibrant and to be moving into new territory even beyond the, the, the areas that we read about into the entire world. And that question is answered by Paul in this text this morning. It is an approach and a set of gifts which are generously and very strategically given by Jesus to the church to continue the work. And, and these gifts are gifts of grace. They are gifts of grace. And it gives us uh, this overview. So with that, let's, let's dive into Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. And I've got three sections that I'm going to break out this passage in. So uh, first section is chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. As a prison, prisoner for the Lord then, and Paul is writing this epistle from prison, a lot of the original manuscripts don't have the word Ephesians in it to the church in Ephesus. So we believe this is, a, a, this is a letter that was written and then the, the names of the places were, were substituted and it was circulated throughout uh, at least the province of Asia. But Paul's writing this from prison probably because of all the trouble he got into in Ephesus. And we read about that in chapter 19 where there's this big uh, demonstration in the theater that I showed you. And Paul... Uh, is in prison now. So he's, he's a prisoner for the Lord. And then he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You've been called by Jesus to become a disciple. Now live that life. Live worthy of that calling. That is, be an authentic representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. We will see that this passage is bracketed by love in verse 2 and in verse 16. And that ties back into what we read in 1 Corinthians 13, that everything we do in the gifts of the Holy Spirit should be done in love, ditto with the gifts of Jesus. Everything done in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit uh, through the bond of peace. So you got humility and unity as themes that are coming through this, this particular passage, part of the passage. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Again, this totally parallels what we studied in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians and chapter 13 and chapter 14, that these gifts would bring the body together, would maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, the shalom of Messiah to be over the church. And then he reminds them, and by the way, preceding this has been three chapters of significant theology on how the Father and the Son and the Spirit are working together to bring about our salvation, how people, whether they're Jewish or Gentile, should be one in Christ, 
and that this is a demonstration even to the celestial beings of, of the call of Christ. And chapter 3 is all about the love of Christ. So he's coming in and he's saying, okay, so you're all one together. And now in verses 4, 5, and 6, you see one and all repeated over and over and over again. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So here is a, a reminder, very much like we had in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, of unity that is uh, in the Spirit, that is uh, focused on love, unity, humility. It's a call to be one together uh, in the oneness of God himself. Okay? So that's kind of the first part of it. And then uh, the second part breaks into, and this section is, imagine this section is, is a little bit like a king who's returning from a foreign country. And he's coming in to a giant parade. And in most of the earthly renditions of this story, uh, and even, even in the psalm about it, Psalm 68, the people are giving gifts to the king and praising the king and so forth. In this part of the story, Jesus, the conquering king, the one who has conquered evil on the cross, who's raised from the dead, who's ascended into heaven, he is brought, he's like marching in a triumphant procession, and rather than being honored, he's bringing gifts. Okay, so in verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's why I call this uh, grace, these gifts, grace gifts. But each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. This is the returning, conquering King Jesus. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? So he came from heaven. He came to earth as a baby at Christmas. Then as he finished his work, he ascended back into heaven. So he was in the heavens. He was in the lower regions. Other parts of the Bible says he even preached to the spirits in prison. Uh, he descended as the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And then it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. So here we have the, what is known as the fivefold gifts because you've got apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, or shepherds, and teachers. So we call this the fivefold gifts, the fivefold grace gifts of Jesus. And what's interesting is uh, the, the word pastor there, it translates a Greek word that is poimen. That word occurs in the New Testament 18 times. 17 times it's translated shepherd. Just this one time is it translated pastors. This could be uh, a function of the uh, Latin translation where shepherd is translated pastor. You In Spanish you have pastor or pastora. So uh, we don't know exactly uh, how all the roots of this happened, but it might have been uh, the translators wanting uh, to keep a title for the local pastor of the flock, but it is not, it should be translated shepherd. And if you look at the ESV, it's translated shepherd. So these are the fivefold gifts that King Jesus, the returning king, has given as his spoils of battle. Uh, Jesus gives us these amazing gifts. And then... Uh, now, the third part of the passage tells us, okay, well, why, why did he do this? And now we, hear, we see the why. It is in verse 12. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He wants these gifted people to equip the body to become fully mature, fully ready, uh, fully uh, 
united in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, uh, and mature and attaining to the whole measure to become more like Christ. This is, this is a summary of discipleship, but it's also, it reminds us that these five gifts, they were not given just for then, because they are requ- to accomplish what is spoken about in verse 12 and 13, you need to have them available on an ongoing basis to keep doing the work, to keep bringing the, the body of Christ to the fullness, and to keep branching out into the new areas of the world where new people would need to be sent to reach other people. Do you know that even now, we have about a third of the world is Christian. Uh, we have significant chunks of the world that have not, and significant numbers of ethnos, of, of people groups, that have not heard the gospel. Like 3,000 plus. Like billions of people. And so these people require apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to produce in those groups the things that have been produced where Christianity is mature. So we're going we're gonna to look at how genius this thing is, uh, how, how Jesus designed this to work for centuries and centuries. Now, after this is done, here are some of the benefits. We'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Because Paul knows, as he said in Acts 20, I read it to you, he knows that there's going to be uh, wolves growing into these churches and trying to take them away with introducing of false teaching. We studied that in the letter to the Colossians about do not allow yourselves to be taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophies. These warnings are in there, and this warning here of being tossed back and forth by every wind of teaching and cunning and craftiness of people, this is still happening. This is still happening where people are introducing what is supposed to be new teaching, and it's actually wrong teaching. It's actually deceitful teaching. Instead, speaking the truth in love, there's love again, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who's the head, that is Christ. You know, the maturing of the body of Christ is a never-ending job. Right? Like as we become mature, we continue to grow in maturity uh, into our grandparenting years, but we've got a bunch of young people downstairs. We have a youth group who are yet to become fully mature in Christ. We have, even in our own lives, things that we need to deal with to become fully mature, right? So this is an ongoing process to train, to pass the baton, to equip, to make sure the next generation is ready to walk in this type of maturity of of the mature body of Him, Jesus, who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So you got the bookends of love. You have the unity and the humility that is required to be in the body of Christ. You have the grace gifts of Jesus and these these five categories of people, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And then you have this ongoing work of bringing the body to maturity bringing the body to maturity, and renewing the church so that it will remain fresh and vital and also to expand the church from the 33% of the world who now know Christ to the whole world. So that is the mission, and because of that, Jesus has given these gifts. So let's take a quick look now at what these gifts look like. And I've got a little chart here. And I want us not only to understand what each of the gifts are, but to see that there's a pattern. And we, we referred to this earlier in 1 Corinthians 12 when we talked about he gave them first apostles, then prophets. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets because they are required at the beginning of a new work to get, to get the work started and anchored. And then the evangelists come in and they spread the work. 
And then the shepherds and teachers come in and they bring stability, they bring the care, and they bring the teaching to bring the people to maturity. But this is going over and over and over again. So I want us to see it as a, these giftings uh, to fit in the constant cycle of, of kingdom renewal and growth. So let's look at each one. Uh, first of all, the apostles. They are the sparks, the pioneers, the catalysts. They start new movements. They, they have big picture. They're visionary. Uh, they are leaders. They have a way of getting a team together to work productively together. And they awaken others to the overall vision. They awaken others to what, what the big picture is, what it is we're trying to do here. And they're planters. And, and the New Testament example of this is Paul who's going into new territory. He liked to work where it was new. He didn't like to build on other people's foundations. He'd like to go, and he started things, and he trained people like we saw with Epaphras who could go start things. So Paul is a, a classical apostle, and they're typically looking at the whole person. They're looking at the whole, the whole person, the whole people group, so to speak, or the whole target of what the work is, and they're bringing vision to that. The prophets come in, and they are the voice that aligns, clar clarifies, and protects the vision. They speak the words that keeps everybody aligned. They en encourage people to have an encounter themselves with God. A good example of this in the New Testament is Barnabas. Barnabas, his, his name means son of encouragement. Actually, the word nebus actually means son of prophetic encouragement. So Barnabas saw that Paul was somebody God wanted and was working in and was going to work through. And it was Barnabas who brought him to Jerusalem, got him introduced to the apostles. It was Barnabas that vouched for Paul. It was Barnabas that accompanied Paul in his first missionary journey. Uh, Barnabas was a... Uh, a heart revealer. He could share God's heart. Uh, he could see what God was doing with Paul and he could get everybody together and lined up with that. And as Paul took over leadership of the first missionary journey, um, Barnabas continued to walk with him. And the other thing the prophets can do is they can, they can help others hear God. All right? Uh, now, uh, the next part so you've got the vision, you've got the voice, you've got the, the, the teaching, you've got the encouragement, and now you have the evangelists. These are mostly connectors and storytellers. They tell the story of God. They tell of the love of God. They actually have a way to get, take hold of the, the need and the desire that people have for everlasting life, for eternity. They understand that need and they can connect the story of God to people's need. They stir curiosity to know Jesus. Uh, to, 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 uh, and they have, a, they have a lifestyle of invitation and they are contagious. They're recruiters. They're, come and see this. You gotta see this. You gotta go to this thing. You gotta see this movie. You got to hear this worship song. These are, these are the people that are speaking about Jesus all the time. So in the Bible, the, the people who are apparently working in this gifting, uh, Timothy, for sure, because Paul tells him, do the work of evangelism that he was doing. Uh, Silas, Titus, and Epaphras, the guy that left Ephesus and went to plant the church in Colossae. So he was an evangelist. So the apostles bring the gospel, the prophets clarify it and connect people to it, the evangelists spread it and make it grow. And then you get to the shepherds. And until you have a flock, you don't really need shepherds, right? But now you've got a flock and now you need shepherds and um, the, the, they go deep with people. They like intimacy. They focus on serving and healing and growing. They bring stability and, and, a, and a sense of safety and they help people transition from brokenness to belonging. Uh, they are a, 
a family that includes, that welcomes and includes people. Shepherds also can see danger, and they can, they can keep their people from danger. Um, a number of shepherding examples, but uh, one, one that I, I stands out to me is Dorcas. She was someone who was serving and encouraging and making clothing for and welcoming people uh, in Joppa or Lydda, I think, that was the town she lived in. Um, but we have uh, several of these shepherd types. Uh, another, one would be, uh, another one would be Priscilla and Aquila uh, who were working with Paul. And then, and then you have teachers. And by the way, the shepherds and the teachers often, and, and you'll see in the, in the text that I read, is Jesus gave the shepherds and teachers, not the shepherds and the teachers. So oftentimes the shepherd teacher is a mixed gift. Uh, the teacher is the light giver. The teacher is the truth teller. The teacher enhances people's understanding of the knowledge of God. They give application. They help people experience the renewing of their mind. They uh, break confusion. They themselves learn deeply and they communicate clearly. So again, Priscilla and Aquila were used to teach the gospel more adequately to Apollos. So they, they've performed that function. So if you think about the apostles, they think about the whole person. You think about the prophet. They're, they're dealing with the will. They're dealing with, with, the, with the revelation of the will and the connection of the will of God to the will of people. Uh, the evangelist is connecting to desires, the needs of the people. The, the shepherd is connecting to the emotions of the people. And the teachers are connecting to the minds of the people. Do you, do you see the genius of Jesus' design here? How this, these gifts work together and they work in a cycle? And how it's important to keep all five going because it's the apostle that's going to go, the apostolic worker who's going to go find the next breaking ground, the next place to go. It's the prophet who's going to connect people to the will of God who's going to bring in the spark of the new direction that, that goes on, that needs to go on in the church to meet the needs of the culture around them. It's the evangelists who are going to... The, the evangelists don't work well unless the message is clear. Unless the vision and the prophetic alignment is clear. The evangelists... It's like you tell a salesman to, to sell a car but you don't tell them what kind of car, they can't, they can't work like that. You need, to sh you need to tell them, here's the car, here's the miles per gallon, here's the convertible or not. I mean, they need specificity. So the, the apostles and the prophets do their... Now the evangelist spreads it like crazy. Now you've got to flock. You've got to take care of them. You've got to care for them. And you've got to teach them. Because they, they may know the gospel, but now they need to know God and know more and they need to know the Bible. So this beautiful, and it's holistic. It's holistic because the gospel is being brought now to the whole person with the big idea, but then it's being brought to their will, their desires, their emotions, and their mind. So it's working a thorough transformation in the lives of the people that are being served. And we all, we all have some aspects of these different gifts. Some of us, all of us in some way, shape, or form have to do some teaching. It may not be our primary gifting, but we, we need to be able to teach basic things. Uh, similarly, we may not all have uh, a prophetic bent, but we can all prophesy. We can all at least the, the very least, we can repeat the word of God to somebody else. That's a prophetic act. You know, you remind me of what Titus, Paul said in the letter to Titus. You're, you're, you're an older woman and you're teaching the younger woman. Like, so we can all participate, but each of us are going to have a dominant one of these. Where it's going to be our, our key thing. And for simplicity, we're going to call this a pest. Say that? 
Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Apest. All right? Just so keep that in mind, that, that whole apest. But you have now this brilliant system by Jesus, and it works. This works in the church and in the kingdom of God, obviously. But it also is so foundational that it works in businesses and organizations of all kinds. Parachurch ministries, NGOs, this, this approach works. You need, you need a founder. You need a spark. You need somebody who can, who can put the business plan together clearly and articulately. Then you need salespeople. Then you need a team and you need people to be team leaders and you, you need to train and teach people. So this, this way of ensuring his movement is this genius design by Jesus who gives these to the church. Make sense? Yeah. Tracking with me so far? Okay, so a next step that I'd like to encourage, you can put that next slide up. So uh, I encourage you to take one of, these, one of these two assessments, all right? They are very different from each other. Uh, they're very different in, in style, but by taking both, you'll get, a, you'll get an interesting, and you answer the questions about yourself. I think it might be interesting to have other people answer the questions for you, but just for starters, do it for yourself. So it's got the limits of a self-taken assessment, but go, go in there and take those two assessments about probably take you 20 minutes total time, okay, to do both. And then you'll get two reports and you'll get some text that goes along with that that'll help you understand it. But look at your whole life. Look at how you think about work. Look how you think about your neighborhood. Look about how you think about um, uh, your, your life of like hobbies. Uh, also uh, think about... Um, uh, your home and, and what goes on in your home. You know, there, there are people, uh, and I want to specifically talk to marketplace people, there are people who've started marketplace businesses. And you may be gifted apostolically. That may be how God wants to use your gift in the kingdom. So when you fill in these assessments, think about the broad outlines of your life and what really what really matters to you. And recognize that these gifts are given uh, irrespective of gender and age. So uh, just pay attention and then uh, there, you may have family members that you can take this together with and then you'll be able to see how you interact together. And, you know, uh, the tension to take new ground in your household versus the tension to have stability and order in your household, that may be a tension because you got an apostolic member and you got a shepherd teacher member or a prophetic and an evangelist. So take a look at that. And um, we, we are going over the next six weeks to just be aware of how Jesus gifted us. And I hope, we hope what happens is as we become more aware of these things, that uh, we will see new people coming into work in the, in the kingdom, around the church, and in the kingdom around these five-fold gifts. And there may, be, there may be something new that needs to be started here at MCC. There may be uh, a new teaching that needs to be developed, uh, whether it's about finances or it's about marriage or it's about uh, excelling in school. All of these things, we hope, will bubble up now that you see the big picture of, of how Jesus designed this to work. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay, so that's kind of the overview. Now let's dive into the apostolic a little bit further. The apostolic, and we tend to see these less as offices. So in other words, the, 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 the capital A apostles had a distinct calling and a distinct role all right it began with they needed to be eyewitnesses to jesus from his baptism to his cross and resurrection that only fits 
a very limited number of people. And that, that calling and that role, uh, we believe, is not, not existing anymore. But the apostolic ministry continues, and I'm going to show it to you from the Bible, okay? So the Greek word there is apostolos, and it literally means a delegate or a messenger or one sent forth with orders. Um, apostles usually want to take new territory for the kingdom. They are usually called to some challenge and some suffering. No matter if you're starting a new type of music in the church, or you're starting a new church somewhere, or you're, or you're starting a new ministry somewhere, it's going to be opposed. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be challenge. There's going to be heartache. That's just the nature of the beast. Uh, and, and as I said earlier, we, we're not looking at these as offices, but as a gift, a ministry gifting to the body. Now, if you look at the original Big A apostles, they had a direct call from Jesus. They were called to significant suffering. They had signs and wonders accompanied their work. They had special insights into the nature of God and the kingdom. Paul, certainly. I mean, Paul's the only one who gives us a pest. He had, he had some significant insight into the mind of Jesus and what Jesus had in mind. Uh, they have blameless integrity and they have apostolic authority. And even then, in the day of those what I'll call special apostles, uh, there was a fear of false apostles that Paul writes about. Well, if there's going to be false apostles, then the number couldn't have been set exactly at 12. There must have been a few more of those for there to be a, a risk of people copying. And, and that's precisely what we see in the biblical model. So in the biblical model, next slide, here's, here's what we see. First of all, in Hebrews 3.1, Jesus is called the Apostle. And Christmas is the beginning of his apostleship. He's sent with specific orders from the Father from heaven to become a baby. So that's the first, the first and the greatest apostle. Then you have the 12 apostles. You have the 11, uh, minus the, the original 12, minus Judas, plus Matthias. Now those 12 apostles uh, are going to have their names on the foundations of the new city, the new Jerusalem, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 14, the, they will, the 12 apostles will be named. There is a debate as to whether Matthias was supposed to be Matthias or Matthias was supposed to be Paul. I'll leave that to, I'll leave that to the biblical debaters. But there's going to be 12 guys with their names on the foundation of the eternal city. Now, after that, you have others who are called apostles, and they are functioning like the original 12. That's Paul and Barnabas, who were called apostles in Acts 14.14. 14. Timothy and Silas are called apostles in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 6. But now we're seeing, we're seeing, we're moving away now, multiple generations away from the apostles. Uh, you've got Judas with Silas in Acts 15.22. In Romans 16.7, it says that Andronicus and Junia uh, were uh, seen as being excellent among the apostles. So that we don't know if that's they were excellent because they were apostles or if they were excellent because the apostles thought they were excellent Christian workers. But they could be apostles, and Junia is, is definitely a woman. Uh, Titus, in 2 Corinthians, is called an apostolos by Paul. And then uh, I missed one. I missed one. In Galatians 1.19, James, the brother of Jesus, is called an apostle. So you can add that to the list. And then Epaphroditus was sent by the church in Philippi to go take care of Paul when he was in jail. So that's a... That's a different kind of apostle. That's not a capital A apostle. That's a little a apostle. But he was sent 
And he actually did his mission excellently and actually overcame near death to accomplish his mission. So those are some biblical examples. And the sense is that these, these apostolic, these sent ones, that hasn't stopped because why? It's required to keep the gospel spreading, to keep things moving, to keep the church growing, to keep the kingdom advancing. These are enduring gifts that are required until we all come to unity. Well, that sounds kind of like the return of Christ when we all sort of get on the same page finally and, and he's the one who gets us on the same page. So uh, this is kind of our biblical apostolic examples. And here, I just want to look at now some examples uh, in our community. So we have uh, missionary partners. We've got Dave and Rebecca in Southeast Asia. We've got David and Carlene in Nigeria. We've got Zeke and his partner Paul who've started a work among AIDS, AIDS victims and AIDS families in South Africa. Uh, we've got Sheila started a work in prisons. She wasn't the first person, but she's the first person in those prisons, uh, women's prisons. We've got Monir and Samia with a calling to reach Muslims, and that's not unique, but satellite ministry into Arab countries is pretty cool, uh, breaking the paradigm of ministry. Uh, I believe Zeke and I have been involved in apostolic work in Nigeria, helping the local evangelists and spread the gospel. Uh, Steve Sessler and Zeke and others in our congregation uh, serve on boards of ministries and they are actively challenging those ministries to adapt and, 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 tra and transform their models. Uh, Joshua uh, Johnson from this congregation felt called to leave here and start a housing community in Redding, California. Ben Swan, a media person here in Channel 19, moved to Atlanta and is now starting a Truth in Media media platform. Uh, Jed Robine uh, has a ministry to Israel, but also a ministry to help the church understand God's revelation for Israel. Uh, Royce and Liz Baker are going after college students. Lewis is going after police officers. Becca Robinson has been sent to Honduras. And Naj has been sent to young urban girls. So these are just types of uh, what I would describe as apostolic ministries. Ministries starting something new. Ministries uh, helping others. So I, as we think about this gift... Think about the big A's, the big apostles, and say, okay, that work is done, but now there's little A's. And by the way, the apostles that I'm talking about, they're not running around saying, I'm an apostle. That would be the last thing they would do. They would simply follow the call that Christ has given them to go start a new work, to blaze a new trail, uh, to find a new way to communicate the gospel, to bring the gospel, a new target audience, a new section of the population. So these are, these are the apostolic callings. Does that make sense? Does that sort of demystify it a little bit and bring it into something super practical? Right? Okay. So what I want to do now is I want to have the worship team come up and we're just going to uh, have a, a time of uh, prayer, and I'm going to uh, invite. Um, I'm going to invite you, just as you sit now, to think about uh, the way that God has wired you, the way that God has uh, given you in your in your life's experience in your different avenues. Uh, this. Desire to start something new. I, I remember when the Lord made it clear to me that he wanted a prayer canopy put over the city of Cincinnati. It was an overwhelming task. But it has happened in his 
power and in his influence in the city, it's been way beyond anything I could imagine. But he did use me and call me to get it started. So I want to ask you, are you, are you feeling God's calling on some new things? Is God stirring you to start a work that, that maybe feels too big or too much? Um, but that, when you think about it, brings Him honor and glory. So I'm not talking about starting a new business, uh, although that, that could be a manifestation. Maybe it's a new business that's going to hire ex-felons. You know, I don't know. But, but it, it'll feel incredibly challenging. It'll feel like there's no way on earth it's going to happen unless God's in it unless God's the one prompting it. Are you helping others find their calling? Are you, are you finding yourself in coaching and, and encouraging others and saying, boy, you, you've, got, you've got that. Are you a leader? Are you a starter? Are you a creator? Are you an innovator? And... As I said, is, is God stirring you to get after something that is, that is new ground that could be taken for Jesus? If that's you, I, I just want you to stand. Because we're, just go, we're going to uh, speak over you and pray over you um, that God would continue to develop this and that you would, you, would be, you would be obedient to that calling. All right. That's good. And as, um, as you see these folks stand, maybe just if you're near them, just put your hand on them. And we're just going to affirm what God wants to be doing here. So Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for these that are feeling the stirring of your spirit. Perhaps to go into unknown territory. But they sense it's from you. And Lord, as we, we believe these gifts are available for the church until your return. So we're asking, Father, that you would come and fill them, Lord. Fill them with love, with humility with the unity of the kingdom, with the bond of the spirit of peace, that you would encourage them and speak to them in these days for this apostolic work that is stirring in their hearts. And as we lay hands on them, we bless them. And we, uh, we declare, Lord, that um, you would accomplish your purposes in each one. That your gifting would flow and they would hear your voice in the steps that are to come. And we thank you, Lord, for these beautiful gifts that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, just to be accountable, um, I encourage each of you to spend some time in the next week to just uh, write down what you think God's calling you to do and share it with your small group, with an elder. Uh, but take that step. 
to go from there. And we're going to uh, close our service today by worshiping the Lord and reminding ourselves that um, uh, He is the one who builds our lives. He's the one uh, on whom the only, the only safe way to build our life. And if you're not feeling particularly apostolically gifted, that's okay. You got four more Sundays. But I do want you, I do want you to keep an open mind to how your gifting might come alongside one of the people who is standing today. That makes sense? So Lord, uh, as, we, as we go from here today, uh, Lord, we're going to finish with worship. But I bless my brothers and sisters, uh, the apostolic, the prophetic, the evangelistic, the shepherding and the teaching among us, Lord that you would be glorified and that we would be brought together in love and humility and unity and maturity. And that we would go from here today and bring the good news of your kingdom. And as always, Lord Jesus, we, are, we marvel at your genius. We marvel at the foundational thoughts that are sustaining a movement for 2,000 plus years. And we give you thanks and praise for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship the Lord. Stand. Teams, so uh, if you need prayer, come on up for prayer. sing together worthy of every song worthy of every song we could ever sing worthy of all the praise we could ever bring worthy of every breath we could ever breathe live for you Jesus the name above Jesus the name above every other name Jesus the only one who could ever worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you, oh, we live for you. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart. the only one you could ever say.